Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations Half. We'll, we'll be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Kevin. And I'm Abby. So this week is Transfiguration Sunday. So this is the reading from Luke. It from Luke 9 is that Jesus goes up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and suddenly uh, Jesus becomes dazzlingly white, and Moses and Elijah appear, and then God comes in a cloud, kind of similar to the baptism, calling Jesus his son and his chosen, chosen and to listen to him. So the main points that Pastor Gary made in his sermon was talking about how Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is difficult and strange and looking at kind of the past commandments from the last couple weeks, including turning the cheek and loving your neighbor. And then Pastor Gary went into kind of what is transfiguration, since this is a very churchy word. Um, So it kind of has two parts to its meaning. The first part is that it's a change in external appearance. So the reading talks about Jesus being dressed in white clothes and shining, um, but it's also showing showing someone being glorified. Um, So it's in that way different from uh, something like transformation. Pastor Gary also relates this idea of shininess to the Old Testament text in Exodus, where Moses has to cover his face with a veil because he is so shining from the light of God. So Pastor Gary relates that into how do we shine or show the reflect the light of God um, in our lives uh, and not necessarily in our stuff, but also what time do we take to recharge um, and feel that light, both in worship as well as in community. The um, connection I made with the word transfiguration um, was that it was specifically talking about external appearance. Uh, And yesterday, because I was at a birthday party, I was hanging a lot around a lot of uh, trans people and talk and so kind of thinking connecting that with the trans experience of how changing one's clothing or one's appearance to then more adequate um adequately match what they feel inside and just for reference we're all cis people here yeah i think that's a really interesting connection also i, I- I just have to share that while you were sharing that summary, like all of a sudden this little light of mine popped in my head. (laughs) We all present ourselves in certain ways, um, whether we're trans or cis, um, to try to show or relay specific information about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really interesting to specifically talk about a change in external appearance being something holy or glorified, because Mm -hmm. I feel like we can often focus on kind of talking about your internal life or thinking about like your spirit don't focus on the material world but there is some amount of like we live in bodies and Mm -hmm. we're presenting something and uh, whenever we talk about external appearance and like thinking about it it's usually negative it's like don't you know worry about like what you look like it's about like what's on the inside that matters which is true but also we do live in bodies that do affect how people view us and what and how people understand who we are. So if that can reflect how, you know, how we f- are inside, however that is, it's a good thing. Yeah. Have you found people treat you differently when you wear a collar versus where, when you don't wear a collar? <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Absolutely. And it's so new to me that um, I forget that I'm wearing it. And people, for example, like a few months ago, there was a visitor to church and I was sitting in the pew. I wasn't participating in the leadership of the service and I forgot that I was wearing it. And so during the passing of the peace, I turned around to like say hello. And she was being like really nice to me. And she was like, clearly, she clearly expected something from me. And I didn't really understand what was going on until I turned back around. And then I was like, oh, yeah. I'm wearing a collar. She thinks I'm like the pastor or something. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So people treat you differently, absolutely. Um, based on like what you're wearing or how you look. It's interesting to explore this because I think this whole story and this whole this message and everything we're getting into kind of I don't know, works against two really, uh, I don't know, two, two misconceptions that have pretty strong root in my brain at least. And one is uh, kind of mixing this up with transformation and, and like an internal change. Not only me, I don't, we don't necessarily have to get into it, but there is such a sense of in a lot of churches or Christianity that like you will be transformed mm-hmm. through this faith and through this church your life will be transformed. Um, and and I, sometimes people, when they get involved in the churches, their lives do really change or they feel a change in a certain way, but also like in other ways that it doesn't happen. And like the world is still this really challenging, imperfect place. And so I think, I think that's interesting. And then, yeah, I do think like now all I'm questioning now how immediately I assume that anything the external presentation is uh, can, is like how I assume that it's superficial or something. Like, and like, where did that idea come from? And how did I so quickly accept that? And this is making me wondering, like, making me wonder when external presentation is, is incredibly meaningful, you know, and genuine, you know, like, it's not just, um, it's not just, showy I guess so yeah I think that's interesting it it's like about so this is I'm preaching on Ash Wednesday so I've been thinking a lot about those texts but this is really connecting because to me I'm hearing in this conversation right here like about external it's about like motivations or like why are you doing this or why are you presenting yourself a certain way or you know is it because um you're conforming to what society wants you to look like or because you're truly your whatever you're doing to your external appearance or however you are dressing yourself or whatever is like helping you make make you more of the person that God made you to be you know it's like more of like a helping you reflect God's radiance hmm. in a more full way mm-hmm. it's interesting like you know in, in our church like and and a lot most Christian churches now, like your, your typical members, like there's no there's no dress code. There's no like I don't look any different than any other uh, person on the street. I don't even really like like have like cross shaped memorabilia or anything in my room or like in my clothing. Um, and yet, you know, like take the cross for example. That kind of memorabilia is everywhere. Like people are like, oh, I don't go to church, so I'll have like cross necklace on. But um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. 
Yeah. I know something, um, I've been starting to wear more bow ties recently, which part, part of that is to be more obviously queer presenting since I tend towards mm. quite feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of making that more obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be clear, I'm not talking about like people, which I know you all understand this, but just for our listeners, I'm not talking about people like dressing the right way to do something. I'm talking about like, um, we were talking about the transgender community, Mm -hmm. you know, or like if you decide you need to dye your hair purple or you need to like get a sleeve tattoo or whatever to like fully, or like wear bow ties to like fully live into who you are. Um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's freeing because it's not falling into like the this is how how you have to wear, how you, which I think kind of goes along with the this is in a very narrow sense, like what you have to wear, what you have to look like, how you have to act. Mm -hmm. But instead, like freeing and no, you can wear what you want. You can look how you want. Yeah. That's such an important distinction. And I like how, you know, I, I think like, everyone has that. I, I think everyone has that f- fundamental need for other people to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, to be able to be able to express that in outward appearance is certainly not a superficial thing. And I yeah, you're right, Dan. So like it's a free to, freeing thing, which is interesting because I think the whole Lutheran theology of Christianity is so much about like freedom and not oppression, not um, like shame and uh, and I, I want to say rules it's not to say that like you know we we talk a lot about how we're called to live in the world but it's like we're free to live that way um and it's not like a imposed or confining thing yeah so like in terms of faith like we're not gonna have a dress start having a dress code at church but i you know i, I wonder on a personal level like i don't sometimes people in other areas of my life do like have no no idea really like what my church is about or what what I believe and when there are opportunities to talk about it it's like it's really nice like I'm not I'm not trying to sell anyone on it or anything but like it's it's part of who I am so like um yeah yeah it's an interesting thing about like how is that how am I able to express that outward and is that part of what it means to radiate is to like own that or find opportunities for that. We talked about transfiguration as as like a, a freedom to an, ex- uh, to an external change to glorify something, um, or even to I think more authentically express an internal reality that always always isn't even a change, but you know always is was. But maybe now we could shift gears to talking about times when people might veil God's glory to make people comfortable. Hearing Pastor Gary talk about that story about Moses who comes down from the mountain after having spoken with God, and then like he's just so shiny that the people just can't even look at him, but he has to like wear this veil. So that, you know, made me think of like veiling God's glory to make other people comfortable. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know if like the author of that story is intending to imply that that was bad in that particular situation. But I'm thinking of like how that could be a negative thing to veil to like, you know, hide it under a bushel. Yeah. Hide it under a bushel. No. 
<laughs> Part of Exodus is Moses having to veil himself. It's kind of showing a difference or a distinction between Moses and the Israelites. And that like Moses was ready and able to take in God's fullness, mm. but the Israelites wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot of this week about um, the United Methodist Church, who just had their, a, gen, a special general conference in St. Louis to take up issues of LGBTQ ordination in their church and also the ability of any of their clergy to perform um, LGBTQ weddings. And they ultimately voted it down to stick with their current prohibitions against um LGBTQ ordination and uh, the ability to perform marriages and to actually stick with it and to like strengthen the ability of the church to sanction um, people who do those things. So uh, that's just so discouraging as a member of the LGBTQ community and as a person of faith um, and as somebody who has went to, you know, divinity school with uh, queer Methodists who are leading congregations now but so I was just reflect it to me this idea of like veiling God's glory it's like in that situation who is veiling God's glory to make other people comfortable um who's complicit in that I mean and we're not awesome either you know we have our own issues as CLCA Lutherans in that area um we're we certainly haven't rounded the bend on that yet I was thinking about that because I went to a um, book reading by Lenny Duncan, who's a queer black Lutheran pastor here in New York City. Um, And so he was talking about that in the history of the ELCA, getting to the 2009 decision to kind of become more reconciling in Christ and open the Lutheran church up more to LGBTQ people was because there had been work starting in the 80s talking about LGBTQ clergy and talking about LGBT people and what does that mean in terms of faith and that kind of stuff. And so it took essentially 30 years to get to the point that the, um, for the 2009 statement on human, human sexuality, but it's kind of thinking about that in terms of like, it's like, how are you pushing forward or like, what are it both in like small Um, small communities but also in the larger community is how are you talking about this uh, and working with people and and talking through kind of their faith and this discussion about it Um, Hmm. and kind of thinking about how like Moses is taking is kind of communicating to the Israelites about God and what does this um, what he's learning what he's teaching them Mm yeah yeah yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I too found find it discouraging, and I, like I don't know what to do. And you know, I'm a straight white male, so like, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I I could never profess to know like how it feels to uh, on a personal level, kind of like feel that. But I do think like in terms of the sermon and theologically, it's challenging to like see that. I guess. God's glory still veiled in the world, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Going back to kind of the roots of God the creator, like if we believe that God made this beloved creation with, um, with all this diversity, including P- 
people of, with all this diversity and said like, this is good. And if us kind of radiating God is like meant to be done through like, I don't know, being who God made us to be. It's kind of like by like, I don't know, a church not allowing that to happen or recognizing that to me fails. It like veils who God is by restricting who people are. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's kind of the if we are made in the image of God, then God contains all of the possibilities of human multitudes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a piece of God is missing or like not being shown to me and not being like fully. I don't know. Yeah. both shown and like I guess engaged in throughout the church yeah so it just it makes me sad to think about like what what people are missing there's still work to be done I guess yeah you know like the which is essentially I think part of what was going up going on up in on the mountain with Jesus and the disciples and Elijah and Moses um, is like, they were so like, oh, this is awesome, the disciples, that is. We need to stay here and just like hang on to this um, with the best intentions, They, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Jesus tells them not to, to like go back to your lives and like radiate down, you know, like down off the mountain or like because there's still work to be done. There's still... God still has work to do in those places, and we, you are the ones that are going to witness it and help be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like us in a way. Yeah. It's discouraging. Like there's, it, you know, it is discouraging and also like it's a call. Yeah. Yeah. To action. It's a, it is. Yeah. We're by far from perfect here at Advent. At the same time, I think the the body of Christ we have here at Advent and within the Lutheran church is an amazing thing. And it, and it could be there. I think there are opportunities to be like, this is so nice. What we have here mm. is so great. And mm-hmm. just like kind of revel in it. Yeah. And not, yeah, but really we're called to go out into the world. For example, right now we're having a conversation with members of this church that I, that have different experiences of the world. But like, I I think, as members of this church generally see more eye to eye on certain on topics of faith where but like what you know what does having this kind of conversation with um with a pastor who might have voted no on that resolution what would that look like and like that's a lot harder i think back I don't know. I question to reference because I've heard now that like Martin Luther King is over-referenced with <laughs> civil rights stuff because it's just like so easy, so famous. But I, I did hear recently that like one piece that gets missed is like how much it, he wrote a lot to other pastors. And like one thing that I, you know, was recently I think really broke um, Martin Luther King's heart was like the, the lack of support from so many people mm-hmm. of faith that like just weren't getting it. Mm-hmm. That's challenging, but I guess it's like important to recognize, and I, my and, and important because my friends who aren't religious ask about it all the time. The the reality, like there are pastors, mm-hmm. leaders within the church that have radically different views, and like what does that mean? How do we proclaim the gospel when not every Christian leader sees the sees it the same way? I guess. 
I mean, within the ELCA, since um, churches can decide for themselves um, if they want to be reconciling in Christ, um, which is kind of a Lutheran term for being welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ people and marriages um, and ordination, only 10% of ELCA churches have done that. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain amount of like, yes, it is a process, so there might be a larger number that are still welcoming and affirming. Um, and the ELCA is one of the most liberal Protestant denominations uh, in the country. Is that, and your, yeah, and your point is, as one of the most liberal, <laughs> still only 10% yes. of congregations have done that. Yeah, and thinking about all of the, yeah, just how many other Christian denominations feel very differently about many different things to the Lutherans and some things that I would think are like, and they believe things that are antithetical to my faith. Mm -hmm. Mm. What's crazy and interesting and also (laughs) tie-in is coming, is coming at you, um, coming at you. Uh, it's like if transfiguration is a change of, is not an internal change, but an external change to glorify God. And like, it's not internal because like what always was, is, and will be like, God is like the, it's, it's just crazy to me that it's, that it's 2019 that like the, such a, even as a progressive church, such a small portion of the ELCA has done, has done this work. And yet like people haven't changed like it's like the a recognition of a, re, of a reality of who people are that has always been and like that's so i was like oh transfiguration <laughs> like the external the church um the church reflecting humanity as we really are mm-hmm. yeah and thus reflecting god because all people people being made in god's image nice. yeah it was it's pretty good time, <laughs> time right it's like a light bulb, a light bulb moment. <laughs> and looking forward to Lent, um, at least here in this congregation, you know, hopefully doing some of that work in terms of racism um, and anti, anti-race, anti-racism and, mm-hmm. you know, starting yeah. to reflect God's, you know, as a church, as a congregation, starting to try to outwardly reflect who God is in terms of anti-racist work and stuff like that. I think, I think that starts, yeah, that starts next Sunday. <laughs> Little plug for all you <laughs> listeners. 10, 10 a.m. every Sunday during <laughs> Lent, we have, we have a series um, on a variety of topics centered around anti-racism, um, and they are leading into announcement of our partnership with the Emmaus Cooperative, um, which is an organization and a network of churches dedicated to dismantling racism in their own churches and in the world. And yeah, I do. I think it's great that we're doing it. And while it's it's easy to say that Advent is already a diverse p- place and we have it all figured out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the yeah, the the reality is is that. Um, we, our church could certainly more fully, I think, be radiating God's brilliance and lifting up all the, the fully lifting up all the people who, who come together here. I mean, just as an easy example, like Lutheranism has a really strong monocultural heritage. Yes. 
and um, and you know one of the challenges Advent will grapple with and the ELCA will grapple with and Lutheran Church is like how do you appreciate that heritage while making room for the experiences of all of God's creation like the gospel calls us to yeah um Lenny Duncan, who I saw speak, as I mentioned before, um, is a black pastor. And he, he said, um, he was the, I can't, I think it was around 265th black ordained Lutheran pastor in the history of the United States. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, just to give some context, like a synod usually has like a hundred and some churches in it. And how many synods are there in the United States? A lot. Hundreds, hundreds. So two hundred and what do you say? Two hundred sixty-one or something. Sixty-five, yeah. In like the history of since like the eighteen hundreds. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that puts in statistical perspective. Yeah, and so oh. it's yeah, which I think it's also it's then ripe for us as white people to do anti-racism work and be allies to people of color in, in this very white space. Hmm. Can I ask you guys a kind of um, challenging question? <laughs> um, so as, as you guys, I think both know, and maybe some people listening, uh, I'm working um, with the vision team on the visioning process for our church. So I'm wondering how, how does the reality of the, the need for anti-racism work and, and the need for the, um, the inclusion and lifting up of all, you know, human expressions and identities in the church. What does that mean for like, uh, a single congregations for Advent's mission and vision, you know, in the next like decade or so, <laughs> like, what well, what should we be doing about this? I mean, we're talking about like coming down from the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, what might that look like? Just h- hypothetically, so we're not going to figure it out here in this room. But like, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear your guys's thoughts. I told you it was a hard question. That's a very hard question. <laughs> um, well, I think we're starting in somewhere in a good place with this Emmaus Collective and this work. It's just mm. like very basic start, I think, is something. Um, yeah. But that's not a vision. Yeah. That's not like a mission and a vision, like big term. I think it's connected, though, because it could be a long-term partnership. It's definitely a factor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of like what we're going to be doing in the future. I, I, would, I would hope that we can... A vision that I have for Advent is that Advent would be able in its, um, you know, who comes to worship God here can more accurately reflect the neighborhood that we are situated in in the future as Mm. far as, you know, socioeconomically and diversity in race and whatever. Yeah. we are more diverse than a lot of Lutheran churches in that respect. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that we could be a better reflection of our neighborhood in the future, hopefully. By cool. doing those hard, the hard work of 
making space and learning how to better celebrate the diversity in like how we do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Similar to that, I feel like what our congregation looks like is kind of ends up being showing us like what are we doing and who is like we say all are welcome and we do mean that but who feels comfortable coming here like who's not here yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so I think of being aware of what does Advent as a congregation look like and and so the and then why would people who aren't here not necessarily feel comfortable being here Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important question to be asking So can you think of a sentence in which to use transfiguration or transfigured or whatever in your daily lives? I have one. Yeah. Go for it. (laughs) Um, Yesterday morning, Central Park was transfigured by the snowfall. That's good. Does that work? Yeah. I think that is accurate. Whoa. Nice. Because it's still Central Park. Snow. Oh, that's good. <laughs> How do I follow that? Deanne? I, I don't have anything. I think this is wrong, but <laughs> I'll just say it anyway. I've considered um, transfiguring my skin with tattoos before in order to express who I am. Huh. Yeah. There you go. Little known fact. Haven't done it yet, but I think about it. <laughs> So, as we end every week, what will you do differently this week based on the sermon? I think, um, I know that we didn't talk about this in our conversations, but how Pastor Gary spoke about how the transfiguration, the radiance can fade if you don't take the time to nurture it. Uh, And I think that that's something that I will try to do this week. It's hard, you know, when you know, in our busy lives to take time to really nourish our our souls and spend time with God. And I think that this week that is um, something I will try to do. Yeah. I really liked his kind of, yeah, coming down from the mountaintop in that, like, where can I continue to bring this light or this grace or these feelings that I, I feel so strongly here at Advent into the world and onto the subway. <laughs> so this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And I think Yeah. I think uh I think I I know we are um here at Advent we are gonna be distributing ashes and offering prayers outside for like for anyone who passes um from i think 9 a.m to 6 p.m um and anyone can volunteer to help do that so i mean usually my my role on staff i'm not a pastor i would probably normally be in the office just plugging away at a computer but i think i'm gonna um make sure that i budget you know like an hour or something to participate in that and you know both to kind of where wear the cross and participate in that experience, but also to be able to like, to share that experience with others. I think that might be kind of like a coming down from the mountaintop experience for me and really 
and for others, and a way of being transfigured to share the, share God. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. You can email us at podcast at adventnyc.org or join our Facebook group, Advent Sermons and Conversations, to join the discussion. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway.